Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. I'm glad that you decided to join us. Uh, my name is Jonathan, and I have a little bit of a, a special podcast for you this time. I was invited to participate in the Reclaim Conference uh, with Authentic Intimacy uh, earlier this year, and I did a breakout session on what every woman and man needs to know about male sexuality. And so this podcast is going to be that session. So this will be a little bit longer than usual podcast. I did about an hour session, So, but it's, it's packed with all kinds of great information. I hope it's helpful for you. It's, it should help men and women to understand, okay, what is God's design for sex? How did it get distorted? How do men reclaim God's design? And, and then also there's a little bit about how wives and the church can actually help men to live out God's design for sexuality. So I hope this is beneficial for you. If you have questions or feedback, please, uh, you can contact us through our website at puresexradio.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter at puresexradio. But I hope this blesses you and you have a great week. Can everybody hear me okay? I'm going to do my best to project just so we don't have to use a microphone or anything. I did not expect this room to be totally packed. and. And we might have should have given you, I don't know if they told you, that this, there's going to be a repeat of this session in the third session in the much more spacious and comfortable worship center. But um, anyway, this we'll get cozy in here. So um, I, I have to tell you, this was a title that was assigned to me for this session. It feels a little daunting. I feel like, man, what every woman needs to know about male sexuality. I'm going, first of all, I feel threatened when I feel like I have to give information to women. I'm like, oh, man. So really, the, the way I would talk about this is we're really going to be talking primarily about, listen, what, does, what is male sexuality? I'm going to try to answer four questions in this session. First is, what is God's design for male sexuality? Secondly is, how does sin and especially porn distort God's design? And then thirdly, how do men reclaim God's design? And then finally, how can wives and the church help men live out God's design for sexuality? So as we jump into this, before we get into some answering some of those specific questions, I think it's important that we understand that by design, God made men and women different. He made male and female different. In Genesis chapter 1, we're told in verse 26 and 27, it says that God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So from the very beginning, it was God's intention and in God's mind to say he's going to put the fullness of the expression of his image into two distinct creatures. That was his purpose. And I feel like I'm not going to get too far off on a tangent on this, but I feel like where we are in a lot of the sexual confusion in our culture today is we're saying it's wrong and bad that there's distinction between male and female. And so as the lines continue to get blurred, we're left with nothing. We're left with something that's not even human. And so we need to know from the beginning that there's a distinction and a difference between men and women. And that's actually by, by design. I'm going to show you a slide here. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it, but I want to show you just how the differences between how males tend to operate and the, way, the difference between how females tend to operate. So first, let's look at men. 
Males tend to be explorative. They're determined to deliver the goods. We're like production-oriented, solution-driven, right? Needs to know what's next. This comes out every time my wife and I go on a trip. I'm like, okay, yeah, we got plans along the way. As long as we're here, what's next, though? Like, what's next? That's kind of just the way a, a man's mind a lot of times works. Uh, opportunistic, a doer, uh, takes chances. God's design, males tend to be initiators. Active and aggressive and competitive and dominant. So males tend to have an outward orientation towards life and relationships. This is why sometimes when wives are trying to draw a man in, he's like, what are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do? Let's just recognize that that makeup of a man is actually good. It's actually good. It's God's design. Men tend to be more outwardly oriented. Now, when we're talking about anything like this, we have to recognize that all of it in a broken world falls along a bell curve, right? We're talking about a bell curve here that says there's always going to be exceptions on the fringes, but the norm is males tend to be this way. Well, how are, what are females designed like? Females tend to be confidently enticing. In other words, ladies, you know what you got. You know the power you have. And there's a confidence to that of like, I got power in this, in this world, you know? And, and that's a good thing. Values intimacy above action, selectively receptive, seeks security, caring, uses words, <laughs> desires equity, and I love this one, wields soft power to shape humanity. How many times have you heard of somebody's testimony to their faith in Jesus Christ and it was a grandmother that brought them to faith in Christ? There's a... There's a soft power there. So females tend to have an inward orientation towards life and relationships. And that's good. So we have males generally tending to be oriented more outward, females more inward. Look what happens when you put those together. I mean, you've got a full life. You've got a full expression of the image of God, right? Because is God a doer? Is God active? Is God... Is God also got soft power? Does he use words? Does he care? Absolutely. So we need to be, first of all, say there's a difference here and it's actually good. And I want to point out two, two, two of these here just to kind of highlight the goodness of these differences. And some of these differences are literally woven into our biology. So that one on the, on the males where it says active and aggressive. Did you know that the male brain is two and a half times larger in the center devoted to aggression and action than the female brain. <clears throat> so already just woven into the biology, God has said, I'm going to make that part of the man's brain. The male brain is going to be larger in that area. So clearly if there's a part that's larger in your brain, you're going to have more of a tendency towards whatever that area that's larger. And whereas in the female brain, it's not. Think about the one on females where it says uses words. Men tend to talk to communicate ideas or information. <clears throat> Women talk to communicate feelings and thoughts. This is why a lot of times in communication, men and women really struggle to connect. She will say to you, men, well, what do you feel about that? And you go into like, what you're going to do about it? <laughs> Not what you feel about it. But the, the reverse is true too, like, like a husband can ask his wife, what are you going to do about that? She wants to talk about the feelings about it, right? We just want to establish right from the get-go here that men and women are different by design 
and that is actually good. Let's stop trying to fight against this natural order that God has put in in bearing His image. It's good to be male. It's good to be female. Those are good expressions of God's image. Next, let's take a look at God's design for sexuality. I believe there's three primary roles of male sexuality, and they, they operate around these three words, pursuit, love, and strength. Pursuit, love, and strength. So this first role has to do with that by God's design, men are called to be initiators and pursuers of communion and covenant. In Genesis chapter 2, God shows us how he made them male and female. Because in Genesis chapter 1, it just says God created them male and female. Genesis chapter 2 shows us how that happened. Adam and Eve, the first two human beings, were not created simultaneously. Adam was made first. And he was made out of dirt. And so God breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living being. And then God gave him two jobs. And I always tell single guys this. It's it's a good order to get things in. Get a job before you get a wife. You know? God gave him two jobs. He said, I want you to tend the garden and I want you to name the animals. And as he did that, as he named all the animals, it says at the end of that naming, but for Adam, a suitable helper was not found. In other words, there was no other creature yet on the planet that fit with Adam. And that's where God took the initiative, put him to sleep, broke his rib, and formed a woman. And then when he brings that woman to Adam, he loses his mind. He gives this soliloquy of like, oh my goodness, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh will be called one. I think he was out of his mind when he was, because he was like, I'm just babbling here. I'm seeing this woman, this creature that now it's like, I've seen bears and I've seen lions. And this one fits. <laughs> like this one was made for me. Guess what? It says that after he said all of that about woman, this is where we get a verse that is shown all throughout scripture to show us this metaphor picture of marriage, right? It says, in Genesis 2.24, for this reason, for what reason? A woman being presented to a man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one. For this reason, something was awakened in Adam when he saw that woman for the first time and he didn't go, yeah, that's kind of nice. I'm going to go eat an apple. No, it's like, for this reason, I'll say, bye mom, bye dad. And he is designed by God to be an initiator, to be a pursuer, to say there is something about me wanting to pursue intimacy with this creature. And that's actually God's good design. Secondly, I believe that God's design for male sexuality is that he be a sacrificial lover. Did that not come up? We're having trouble with this earlier. Sacrificial lover. We're told in Ephesians chapter 5, that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, I think, well, we'll see this in a minute about how we skew this. I believe it's God's design that out of the initiative that God has put into a man to pursue intimacy, to pursue covenant, that in that pursuit, he is to be the example of sacrificial love. And I think we have gotten this very reversed and out of order. And I think it has to do with what happened in the fall. 
I actually believe that the sin before the sin of pride was the sin of passivity. Adam's hanging out watching his wife talk to a snake. Dude, what's wrong with you? I know he's just probably sitting there going, I'm not hearing anything the snake is saying. I'm just looking at this woman, you know. But he was meant to be a sacrificial lover. He was meant to, in that pursuit and in that initiation, be the one that says, I want to outdo you, my wife, in loving. I want to outdo you in sacrificing. I want to be able to show you more than anyone else in the world what it means to lay down my life for you. Did you know there's no explicit command anywhere in Scripture for a wife to love her husband? Now, it's implied. You know, we're told in the Christian community, love one another, right? So that you could, by implication, say, yes, a wife is to love her husband. But there's no explicit command. There is an explicit command for a husband to love his wife. Therefore, I think that's part of God's design is that we were made by God as men to be the initiator of sacrificial love. And then finally, I believe that God has made men to use their strength to protect, provide for, and pleasure his bride. You know, we, when I think about the traditional marriage vows, we talk about forsaking all others to love, honor, cherish. And we see also in that Ephesians 5 passage where Paul's giving instructions to husbands. After he said husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, he goes on in verses 28 and 29, and he says, in this same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. I believe that God has designed men to be the primary, if I can put it this way, feeder and carer of his wife. He's to be the one that's to be using his strength in every capacity to be able to feed and care for her in a way that nobody else can, in a way that nobody else should. He's to be able to bring that, bring that in. So here's the way men, I believe, are designed. I believe that they are designed visually stimulated when it comes to sexuality. We see it's for this reason, right? Adam saw a woman. For this reason, I'm going to go pursue. And out of that visual stimulation, he's designed by God to pursue intimacy with a woman, and thereby celebrate covenant and grow as what I would call a warrior lover. Now, we don't, often, uh, we don't often get this picture right in the church, and here's the reason why. There's been massive abuse in all of these areas, right? Massive distortions of all of this. Even to say that line where I say, uses strength to protect, some people might just cringe at that. And they go, I've seen how men have used strength. And it has not been to protect. But this is part of reclaiming. This is part of reclaiming God's design. Please, let's, let's be careful of judging the truth claims of Scripture by its abuses. God still designed men this way. Men are to pursue, and in that, sacrificially love, and through that, use their strength in order to feed and care for their bride. So now let's take a look at how sin distorts God's design. Because sadly, sin has made a mess of all of this. And it's going to be along those same lines. When we talk about pursuit, love, and strength. The ways in which sin has distorted that. And we're specifically highlight how pornography 
does a lot of this distortion. But first, the first way that sin distorts God's design is sin promotes lust. And lust is just a selfish sexual craving. I spoke about it a little bit in my in my talk, um, in my presentation, my, my story. Lust is this idea of saying, I want, I want, I want, I want, to the point where we make whatever we want an idol. And so now we're worshiping that thing and we're making it the ultimate thing. And so what that does is it leads to isolation. The reason is because guess where lust always puts your focus? On yourself. And since men are doers, if our focus is on ourselves, all of our doing is going to be oriented towards how do, what do I get out of this? And the way that porn really fuels this, porn fuels lust. We see it in our ministry all the time. Men often abandon relationships and responsibilities for the empty promises of porn. I've literally had men tell me, I, I really do want my porn more than I want my wife. Lust creates this craving and then porn only fuels that lust. So that's, that's changing the way that men are designed to pursue. Men are designed to pursue intimacy. Men are designed to pursue um, that relationship. Lust causes men just to pursue a behavior. Lust causes men to pursue an object. Secondly, the way that sin distorts God's design is sin causes self-focus to overpower sacrificial love. Remember, our design is to be a sacrificial lover, but then sin causes us to be self-focused, and if that becomes our primary goal, is, listen, whatever I want, guess what? Self-focus and sacrificial love are mutually exclusive from one another. You cannot be sacrificially loving someone at the same time being completely self-absorbed and and only thinking about yourself. And what porn does in this is porn affirms a self-centered focus. Porn fantasies always place the viewer in the center. This usually creeps out, guys, when we do our workshop. We do a three-day workshop for men called Gateway to Freedom. And we'll be talking about uh, fantasy especially. And when I get to this point, I'll say, uh, did you realize that you are the center of all your sexual fantasies? And they're like, whoa, what are you talking about? Oh, that can't be right. That kind of feels gross. And I have them think about it. When you are looking at pornography, when you're engaging in some kind of sexual mm -hmm. fantasy, who is it really all about? Who are they smiling at? Who are they obeying? Who are they never saying no to? See, the sexual fantasy is all about me. And so therefore, sin distorts God's design for sacrificial love because all about me thinking is antithetical to sacrificial love thinking. And finally, sin distorts the purpose of a man's strength. He uses it to control sexually instead of cherishing, protecting, and pleasuring. And porn is inherently violent. 88% of scenes in porn films contain violence. So what ends up happening, this is how sin distorts God's design. He starts visually stimulated. That's how we're made sexually. But then instead of pursuing intimacy, he isolates into fantasy. And isolating into fantasy will always violate covenant. It will not celebrate covenant. And so then all a man becomes is what I call a weak luster. So you either got the design, which is by God to be a warrior lover, or the distortion that sin causes, which is a weak, passive luster. We were made by God to be great lovers, not great lusters. 
And so that's the distortion. But there's good news. There's good news. This is, this is why we preach the gospel, right? Is because God didn't give up on his creation. God very easily could have said, I'm done. And he would have been perfectly just in doing so and saying, that's it. I don't, I don't, I don't want these people around anymore. But instead, he put into place a plan of redemption, a plan of reclaiming what he had made in the first place. And so the good news is that there can be a reclaiming of God's design, but there's some key things that have to happen in a man's life in order to reclaim the design. So this part, we're really talking about what does a man need to do? We'll get to the helping part in a minute, but what does a man need to do to reclaim his design? First, there it is. He must repent of his sin. Not only repent of his sin, but also repent of the distorted thinking and the false identity that attached to the sin. Because again, that self-absorption, that self-focus will always create an image where we become the idol, we become the God instead of the Savior. And I have to say, repentance is, um, I would say probably in the last 30 to 40 years in the American church, it has become one of the least preached about subjects in all of Scripture. And yet you can barely turn a page in Scripture without coming across the theme of repentance. Of God saying, no, no, you're out of line. You need to change your mind. That's what repentance means. You need to change your mind. Correction. You need to come back to what is meant for you, what I designed you for. So repentance has to become not an act, but an attitude. And that's what I see so many men, because we're oriented as men towards doing, right? They're like, guys come to our ministry, and they're like, what do I need to do? Well, you need to learn how to repent. Okay, so what do I do? <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 it's got to get down into your bones. Do you have the same disposition toward your sin that God does? Do you see it as the destructive thing that it is the same way that God does? Do I have the same degree of, of hatred towards my sin as God does? Do I have the same commitment to sacrificing that sin the way that God is willing to kill that sin? So it's like, it's basically repentance is saying, I want to get the mind of God. I want to have the same view. I don't want to look at this. A lot of times guys come to our ministry and they'll be like, how do I fix this problem? You know, like, I've got this little porn problem. As if that's not, as if that hasn't infected literally every part of his thinking, every part of his life, everything goes through that grid. And so it's not merely of saying, okay, yeah, okay, I'm going to come forward in service. I'm going to say, God, I'm sorry. And then I'm basically not going to change and shift the paradigm at all. I'm still going to have the self-centered focus. There's not going to be a sense of sorrow, like deep, deep sorrow over my sin. I will tell you that this is probably the thing that made one of the, the biggest differences in my life. And here's the reason why. See, prior to my recovery, it wasn't that I never felt sorry about my sin. But I never felt sorrow for my sin. And I wanted to help you understand the difference. I was sorry about my sin because, man, it did seem to be like ruining my life. And it did seem to be like making all kinds of problems in relationships and certainly seemed to be hampering intimacy with God and all these kind of things, these, these things that I had true, real, good desires for. But being sorry 
about sin is, is just basically saying, I, I don't really want to change. I don't really want there to be a complete submission of my life to the Lordship of Jesus. Lord, I just I really want your benefits without you. I want you to bless my life. I want you to make things work right without me actually having to submit my entire life to your control. And I think repentance is getting into our bones this idea that I was made first and foremost for God. What does it look like for me to, to with His help and by His Spirit, remove everything that is hindering my full and complete submission to Him? And repentance is a way of doing that. I had a, uh, to give you another illustration of maybe what this looks like in terms of working into a man's life. And when I say this, you might go, oh, this is weird. This might get really uncomfortable. So I've got a friend of mine who I've known for uh, really probably 15, 16 years. He's a guy that I meet with. He just sharpens me all the time. But he has helped me grow so much in this area of like having repentance as an attitude. And he was sharing with me one time, this was years ago. He was sharing with me one time about a, a a struggle he was having in this idea of submission and surrender to God over a particular issue in his life that had really kind of uh, raised its head again um, in a particular week of his life. And he said something to me that I've never forgotten because I was like, I've never heard those words come out of a man's mouth. He said, you know, I probably just need to have a good cry about that. <laughs> and they just started moving on with the conversation. I'm going, whoa, time, time out. What are you talking about? And as I, as I kind of dove deeper with him, he's saying, He's saying, when I get before God and I really release a struggle, he said, I can't help but tears to flow. He said, because I'm, I'm wanting to connect with the heart of God. I don't want to just connect with the Word of God. I don't want to just connect with the benefits of God. I want to connect with the heart of God. And an attitude of repentance, often, if we've been living divided, if we've been living lost, if we've been living in our lust, it's going to bring tears, and that's good. I heard it said before that when God squeezes the heart, the juice comes out the eyes. So <laughs> let God squeeze your heart and let Him bring a godly sorrow of, over your sin, a godly sorrow for your sin, so that you can get His perspective. A godly sorrow over your sin does not mean you stay locked in a prison of shame. It actually releases you from that prison of shame because you begin to understand more completely what does the blood of Jesus actually mean for my life? I don't have to live like this anymore. I don't have to live under shame or a false identity. So repentance of sin is huge. But I also think men then need to reclaim their godly role. Reject passivity, guys. Be the initiator of sacrificial love. What would it look like if you became the leading lover in your marriage? If you're single, what would it look like if you became the one who let out with sacrifice? In your group of friends. You set the pace. You set the example, men, of what does it look like to lay down your life? Because this is not only a talk for married men. This idea of sacrificial love is for all of us, but I believe because of God's design, He wants guys to kill themselves first for the sake of the church. So we need to reclaim that godly role. And then finally, I want to spend a little time on this. Use strength for good. Use his strength for good. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, which we generally think of as the love chapter, right? We forget that in that chapter, he also talks about growing up. He said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. 
But when I became a man, I put away childish things. There is a maturity that happens. Here's what we see all the time in our ministry. And this is why the next part we're going to talk about is that this man pursues emotional growth. And this is where a lot of guys get uncomfortable because, again, we're doers. We, we say we're doers to the ex- exclusion of the fact that we are also human beings made with feelings, made with emotions. And I believe that many of these other things that I'm talking about, even repentance, certainly reclaiming the godly role, cannot happen without a man beginning to mature emotionally. What we see in our ministry all the time is every, every single person that comes to our ministry, every single guy that has developed a sexual addiction, it's ultimately a detachment disorder. This man has never had modeled for him or never been trained how to bond well in relationships. I'm not talking about sexually. I'm talking about actual intimacy. And by the way, intimacy is not just a sexual term. Intimacy can happen between good friends. Think of David and Jonathan. Think of Jesus and and John, the Apostle John. There was such intimacy between them that at the Last Supper, John felt perfectly safe and comfortable just putting his head on Jesus' chest. The same friend that I was telling you about. I remember the first time, first few times that we met, and I would I'd give him a, a hug after we would meet, right? Because, I mean, that's just the appropriate Christian thing to do after you've had a good, you know, accountability session or whatever. You're just supposed to hug. Well, my, my uh, previous experience with men hugging was, you know, pat, pat, pat. See you later, man. We're out of here. And this guy really put me out of my comfort zone because I'm a tall guy, right? So pretty much everybody's head is at my shoulder. <laughs> and I give this guy a hug and he lays his head on my shoulder. I was like, what happened? <laughs> and yet the more I've been meeting with this guy year after year after year, I'm realizing there's nothing inappropriate about that. There's nothing weird about that. These are, we're brothers. So what does it look like to grow up emotionally? I want to share with you four Four emotions that I think are really important for men to engage because we tend to be very deficient in these areas. There's a whole spectrum of emotions. And by the way, guys, if you want to start getting well-versed in in growing up emotionally, I want to give you a couple of things that you can do. One is we just completed a seven-part webinar series on uh, emotional training for men. And you can get that actually at our radio website. It's puresexradio.com. And uh, the webinar series is available under the webinars tab. But that goes through seven key elements of men growing up emotionally. The other thing, too, is if you just Google the term emotion words, you get all these awesome charts that come up. Because the first thing that guys have to do is recognize, what am I feeling? Because most times, the only thing guys know how to express or even to identify is anger. And that's kind of the only acceptable emotion that we allow men to express, even though it can often be very damaging. So all they know is all of all, a man, all of his emotions kind of just get boiled down into, I'm angry. It's like, well, was it disappointment? Was it sadness? Was it fear? You know, it's like there's a whole lot of other emotions. So these are the areas that I feel like men need to to grow up in. Um, the last one not come up there. We're having issues with the... I'll, I'll give them all to you, but empathy is the first one. We talked about that a little bit when I shared my story. Especially if men have been stunted emotionally in their growth, and every guy that gets introduced to porn early on, that traumatizing experience often has an emotionally stunting effect. So usually what we tend to to experience and what we've seen over the years in our ministry of dealing with thousands of of sexually addicted men is usually at whatever point they had kind of their first 
traumatic sexual encounter. And yes, exposure to pornography as a kid is a traumatic sexual encounter. You usually see a stoppage of any kind of emotional development after that. So what ends up happening is later, if these guys get married, they they often are very, seen as very uh, fun people because, hey, a lot of college and maybe mid-20 ladies think, man, you know, a guy who's just a lot of fun is a lot of fun. They don't realize that he's a lot of fun because he's emotionally stunted at 11. So he's got energy and he's got fun. He's got ideas and he's creative and he laughs and all this kind of stuff. And so there's a charm to that. And then this lady might marry him and say, okay, I'm ready for the man to show up. He's like, that's all I got. Like, there's nothing more there. And so one of the things that has to happen is this idea of empathy. Because so many of these men have never experienced, what does it look like to try to get into another person's experience? And this is a huge way for men to grow emotionally because generally speaking, women have been a little more hardwired and tapped into their emotional system. And in our culture and even in the church, we allow a lot more latitude for women to be really expressive with each other and with anybody. So they've got a whole, a much larger palette of understanding about emotions. Guys, if you want to grow up emotionally, and you've got even a slightly healthy wife or girlfriend in your life, learn to empathize with her. Learn to enter into her experience. What is it? What is it? What is it like to feel seven things at the same time? <laughs> or seventy? You know? Empathy a lot of times will give a broader understanding of, you know what, I thought I was angry, but I'm really sad. I thought I was angry, but I'm disappointed because I didn't get that raise. So everything that used to be boiled down into anger, empathy can help him learn from others. How do you actually express and understand that emotion? Also, grief. Grief is simply the process of of processing loss and disappointment. And a lot of times, um, again, men getting angry, a lot of that can be around a lot of different loss and disappointment. The, the statistics tell us that anywhere between uh, seven to maybe 20 times a day, you're going to face disappointment. So in the terms of so not, some of them can be really small, some of them can be really large. But that's there's like disappointment is a regular part of being a human being. And again, so many times because guys are more wired, like solution oriented, I just want to get things done. They don't take the time to grieve out those disappointments. Women sometimes do a little bit better job of this, but this is probably something that could help everybody, but especially if men can learn to grieve, I actually believe they can learn how to handle temptation better. Now, this will sound weird maybe at first, but for a man to resist a sexual temptation requires grief. There is a legitimate desire. We've talked about visually stimulated, right? There's a legitimate biological desire that God has put in men sexually. So, attraction happens and there's there's a biological response the temptation then is what am i going to do in my mind with that what am i how how am i going to interact maybe or what am i going to do with that temptation so there was a good desire now it's being directed towards something that is causing me or you know to think about what's the possibilities here did you know in order to resist that temptation i've got to lose that has to die That has to go away. There's a crucifying that has to happen in that moment. And there's a type of grief in that. When I'm talking about grief, I'm just talking about processing loss and disappointment. 
Because if I don't grieve, if I don't go through the process of, of the fact that there's going to be a loss here, even though it's a good loss, I'm going to hang on to that. And maybe later on, I actually recall that or pull it up or do something else with it. So grieving, learning to grieve well is actually a way to even handle temptation. Rest is so important. Um, many times when I talk to men about learning how to grow up in the area of rest, a lot of times they think, yeah, I only get five hours of sleep a night. No, no, no. You know, sleep is part of rest. What I'm talking about in rest is restfulness in your soul. Very few men that I've ever met do well in this. Again, because we tend to have a performance orientation. We tend to be so much on the doing side of things that we think that rest is, you know, bad. Like rest is not what God didn't design men to be to have rest. And yet Jesus modeled over and over and over and over again resting, even in the midst of massive ministry responsibilities. He often withdrew to lonely places to pray. There was a rest as part of the rhythm of his life. And I found this probably to be one of the most um, powerful parts of my own recovery. See, I used to think that rest meant inactivity. But guess what? There have been times in my history over the last 20 years of recovery where um, I've sat still for 10 hours watching football. Felt exhausted. <laughs> like there's no... There's not a sense, yeah, especially the Browns. Huh? Uh, there's no, there's no sense of rest. Like so, just inactivity is not the same as rest. It's finding a place in which your soul is restored. That's why I think when it says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Now I realize a lot of stuff we're talking about here. There's blurred lines between these things between men and women. Rest is good for women, right? Grief is good for women. Empathy is good for women. I'm highlighting these things because these tend to be areas in which men are very deficient in. And yet it's part of God's design. It's part of reclaiming God's design. And the last thing that didn't actually show up on there is joy. Joy. We were made for joy. The whole end to the whole plan is joy. But we can actually experience it now. And so again, so many men, because they're living in dividedness, they're living in shame, um, they've got so much brokenness in their lives, they have no idea of how to have joy. They're usually just seeking the next activity in order to get some kind of pleasure or some kind of fleeting happiness. But God designed us for joy. And I believe that when we reclaim that design of being an initiator and a pursuer of covenant and sacrificial love, one of the things that blew my mind, I never would have thought this, is after my wife and I got back together, all these amazing things were happening. I mean, I got my wife back, started having kids, you know, just cool stuff was happening where I was like, man, life is different. Life is good. And then in 2002, God started whispering to me in my quiet times a very weird question. He's like, hey, Jonathan, do you want unbelievable joy? And I was like, what kind of question is that? Who says, no, thanks, God. I don't want any unbelievable joy. But anytime in my spirit, when I say, of course, he says, tell your story. I'm like, whoa, we got disconnected here. Something happened. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. And I wrestled with God over this. And uh, to, to the point where in January of 2003, I unexpectedly, at least from my perspective, got laid off from my job. And I like to tell people that while God will not infringe upon our free will, he can narrow your options. <laughs> to start making it very, very clear, this is what I want you to do. 
Oh, no, you made that decision. Totally, Jonathan, you did. But, you know, it's like, here's the thing that I discovered, though. It clicked. Once I started realizing, you know what, my story isn't mine to own. I'm not my own. God purchased me with a very high price. So therefore, to just be free with sharing my story, I realized that by giving away what God has done in my life, there's a whole different kind of joy to that than simply receiving blessings from God. Jesus even said it's better to give than receive. So when men, when we start realizing what we were made for, to be that sacrificial lover, that warrior lover, guess what? You will not regret giving it all the way to your wife. You will not regret as a single man giving it all the way all the way to the church and to the community. You won't regret that. Because God, we're told that God's word doesn't return empty. And so the thing is, we need to be sacrificial in that way. So let me, there's two other slides, a few other slides I want to go through. One is, let's talk about how wives can actually help their husbands in this process. How do wives help men live out God's design? First, be his partner. We have a whole wives care ministry in our, in our ministry and, you know, so much brokenness and betrayal and just pain there. And a lot of times what tends to happen, this is very, very common. When a wife discovers, in whatever way, her husband's secrets, she starts putting on additional hats. She starts putting on the cop hat. She starts putting on the mom hat. She starts putting on the counselor hat. Sometimes she starts putting on the judge and jury hat. You know? And what I'm saying is, is that those types of things, some of those things that come out of that are necessary for that man, but they don't need to come through the wife. Does that man need accountability? Absolutely. But he needs to get that in community with other men. There's a type of accountability you can have between a husband and wife, but there's a whole other type of accountability that that man needs to learn with other men. So one of the best ways that a wife can help in this process is, is to encourage him towards holiness as a fellow child of God. So this isn't saying in terms of being his partner, that everything's going to be, you know, fixed or everything's going to be the same or that there's not a time frame in this. But the idea of being his partner is saying there's still a purpose here for this man. There's still a purpose here for our marriage. I'm going to establish healthy boundaries and simply be a wife who is healing. And let the cop and the mom and the counselor and all of that come from other sources. Because you know what, ladies? you will have more than enough to deal with just as a wife who is healing. So one of the ways that you can help him and even yourself is just be his partner that's, that's uh, encouraging him towards holiness. And that's really the, the next thing too is challenge him to pursue personal integrity and authentic community. Speak words that affirm him pursuing these things. Um, I am convinced, not only through my own life, but through, again, dealing with literally thousands of men in this area, that the most fragile element on planet Earth is the male ego. And there's so many factors that play into that. But I believe that the male ego is far more fragile than the female ego. We are crushed so easily by words. We are crushed so easily by uh, just just all the things that can happen in terms of 
disappointment and all that. And again, this doesn't mean that a wife should not express those things. But I think she can have a context in which those things can be expressed in healthier ways through counseling and some other wives and things like that. And I'm not saying that you just pretend with your husband and just, you know, all oh, okay, all I'm going to do is give affirming words. It's like, no, there needs to be times in which appropriately anger is expressed. God actually says, be angry, but don't sin. That's called justice. You've been violated. There's been an injustice. You should feel angry. But there's a way in which we can do that in a godly way, and a way in which we can do that that just causes even more damage. But the thing is, this still doesn't mean this this still doesn't mean that you don't have a voice to challenge him. Call him up. So you know what? You're made for way more than this. You're not to be slopping around with the pigs over there in a foreign land. Come home. Be a man. Be a godly man who pursues integrity, who loves his wife, who sacrifices for her. You can challenge him according to God's word and do so in a way that is going to draw him into those communities that he needs to be into. Now, with that being said, the ownership of that man's integrity has to be his. I tell guys all the time, you set the appointment with your counselor. You be the one to go out and pursue and find a group that you need to be involved in. You make the changes in your life that are necessary in order for you to be a man of integrity. Because again, I believe that part of God's design in women is this natural propensity to help. So therefore, a lot of times, even from a good place in a woman's heart, even if it's broken, she's wanting to help her husband. So then she just starts taking control of all of the aspects of his recovery. That's actually not good for him. Because again, if he doesn't have a godly sorrow, if he doesn't own his sin, if he therefore also doesn't own his pursuit of integrity and righteousness, then guess what? His heart isn't changing. And I will say this just as a little aside, some key things to be looking for. Um, there's two really key things that a wife can be looking for to see if things are changing. One is behavior and the other is words. And they need to go together. We used to say, you know, just watch his behavior over time. But guess what? We've had stories where a guy was going to group, guy was seeing counseling, guy was looking the part. Six months later, finds out he's still having affairs. And what we realized in some of these stories is as we started exploring them, we realized as we interviewed these wives, his language wasn't changing. And I don't mean like dirty words. I'm talking about how he would talk how he would engage her, how he would speak to others. That still was essentially the same. So as you see behavior changing and language coinciding with those behavioral changes, then you know a heart is changing. The biggest thing that my wife saw in me was that, see, prior to me going into recovery, I would always ultimately deflect full responsibility for all of my sin. And after, once I got into recovery, it was like, it's all mine. I own it all. I don't put any of it on her. And that was a difference in language as well as behavior. And then finally, a way a wife can help is join him in learning true intimacy. This might be a while later. Okay, There's a healing time. There's kind of a recovery time if there's been sexual betrayal. But join him in learning true intimacy. And what I mean by this is be careful of thinking that if he gets fixed, 
everything will be well in your marriage. So the idea is we have a lot of women that say, okay, I'm going to stand on the sidelines, and once he gets better, we're going to be great. And therefore, it's like everything gets dumped on him as if once he becomes the righteous, godly man that he's supposed to be, magically, intimacy is going to happen in the marriage. It's like, no, there's a process of healing and growth that a wife needs to go through as well as the husband. And so a wife can help by joining him in that. One way that a wife can, can do that is just be interested in how he's growing. Hey, tell me how you're growing. What are you learning? You know, what are the things that have been challenges to you? How are you, you know, doing with emotional growth? And what, what's it been looking like for your boundaries? And just kind of joining him in that. Also, as you are able and willing to be able to share what you're learning and you're growing with him, that's joining him in true intimacy. Because, listen, it, it's not all, like Julie's been talking about, it's not all about sex. This is about relearning how to communicate and connect and go deep and be honest and transparent. And so the more you can join him in that, my wife has, it's kind of funny. Um, she, she, re, she feels like as our lives change, she feels like I swung my pendulum farther than she was even willing to go <laughs> in like being honest and open and all this kind of stuff. And so she, at a certain point early in, in the early years, she feels like, man, you're challenging the heck out of me. I don't know if I like this so much. You know, so it was like it, it swung the other way. But the other thing, too, this is what really blew me away in terms of my wife uh, really joining me in intimacy and realizing what does it look like to be authentic and real? This gets back a little bit to the repentance piece, men. Early on, the first, you know, several years were really, really difficult. There were relapses and slips and falls, and, and I would confess them, and we'd, work, we'd walk through them. And some of those early on were really difficult and really long conversations, and it would pull up all old wounds and everything. But I'd driven a stake in the ground. No more lies. No more hiding. No more shame. And so as we would have these conversations, I remember this is probably, I mean, it was a good handful of years in. And thankfully, you know, the frequency had become further and further apart of these types of things. But one time I confessed. And just so you'll know, the way I would always do that is if I had anything to confess, I would confess it. I would tell my wife what I have done about it and what the plan is moving forward. And then we would pray. That was always kind of the order that we, so it wasn't like, uh, I did something, blab. No, no. I did. If I did something, I've got to think through here. I've got to repent to God. I've got to connect with some of my brothers, and we've got to work out what went wrong here and how am I going to move forward. And then I can I can go to my wife and say, because that, that created a little bit of a safety for her of like, she doesn't have to be cop, right? She doesn't have to be. I'm taking ownership even of my failures. I remember one time, though, when I came to her and I confessed and told her the plan and we prayed and, and I... I look up from the prayer and tears are streaming down my wife's face. And she said something I never would have dreamed would ever be said to me after having confessed sin. She said, Don, I wish I had your courage. It's like, I just confessed sin to you. And you're telling me that I have courage? And when I finally understood what she meant, she was saying, you're finally living your life in the light. You're not being a divided man. Because guess what? I think the thing that hurts women so much is the not knowing. Is the idea of, is there more? Is there something I'm missing? Is there a part of my husband that I simply still don't know about? And that creates just this tension and this fear so much of the time. But when men take responsibility, even for their sin, 
and are willing to be transparent and open about that, then guess what? Everything's in the light. Now, I'm not saying these are comfortable exchanges, but I am saying, men, when we be courageous and we say, I want to take full ownership of all the brokenness as well as what needs to take place in pursuing integrity, I think that is being a loving leader. Now, how can the church help? How can the church help? First, establish grace-based environments for men to share their story. Most of the environments around this topic are performance-based. You know, we hold people accountable based only on performance. But we need to know that whether you do great or whether you fail miserably, the love of God is constant. God doesn't love you more if you do awesome and love you less if you do poorly. He says, I displayed the perfection of my love in Jesus Christ on the cross. If you ever doubt anywhere in your life, men, women, everybody in here, if you ever wonder how much your life is worth, your life is worth the only Son of God. That's how much your life is worth. We need to create environments where men feel safe enough in that kind of a grace-based environment to go, here's what I've been struggling with. Here's my story. Here's the pain that happened to me years ago. Here's where I'm still immature. These are the things that I need to work on. Secondly, we need to be intentional and practical about calling men to pursue sexual integrity, both intentional and practical. What does it look like day in, day out to be pursuing integrity? And then finally, teach God's word on sex and sexuality. We need far more of this in the church if we are actually going to call men out to live by God's design. So let me wrap up with this. Here's the summary. These four questions, right? What is God's design for male sexuality? The answer, to be a warrior lover who uses his strength to pursue sacrificial intimacy and celebrate covenant. That's what I believe God's design is for male sexuality. And by the way, this can actually apply to single men. A warrior lover. Can you love even if it's not sex? Absolutely. Can you pursue sacrificial intimacy in the body of Christ and the mission that he's called to you? Can you celebrate covenant, the covenant between Christ and his church? Absolutely. A man can do these things. Secondly, how does sin distort God's design? By deceiving us through lust and self-centeredness to become a weak luster. Deception is at the core of the distortion that sin brings to God's design. Third question, how do men reclaim God's design? By learning to love well through repentance, pursuing personal integrity, and growing up emotionally. And then finally, how can wives in the church help? by partnering to create safe places for men to grow in intimacy with God and others. I want to share with you that if you, I noticed a lot of you are using your phones. I should have mentioned this at the very beginning. If you actually want to just grab all these slides, uh, you can actually go to reclaim19.bebroken.com and you can download all these slides. So it's just reclaim19, all one word, .bebroken.com and get all the slides. And uh, feel free to use them however you want. We are very open-handed with uh, our resources. We are about out of time, but I just want to close with this again. It's God's good design that he made us male and female. Let's celebrate that. Let's not be afraid, even in our culture, to call that out. It's good to be a woman. It's good to be a man. And it's good that those are not the same. And let's be okay with that. Let's stand on that truth um, because I believe it can bring healing and hope 
into our world. Thank you so much. Listeners, I hope that encouraged you and gave you some uh, insights and ideas on on how to live out God's design for sexuality. Um, If you, again, have questions or feedback for us, uh, please hit us up on our website at puresexradio.com or on Twitter at puresexradio. And uh, we're always grateful for you as a listener. Please, if you would also, uh, hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast uh, catcher you use, because when you subscribe, then you don't have to be looking for our podcast. It'll just automatically, whenever we put new podcasts up, it'll automatically uh, insert them into your feed. But we're grateful for you as listeners, and we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.